All right, guys, I know I just released one, but I want to release a few. I want to do it upright. I hadn't got to do it upright in a while, and I've got some downtime before Monday rolls up on me, and there's no Tigers yesterday, no Saints football today, but it is October 2020, the year from hell. Uh, we've all been in the pandemic of being locked down over the coronavirus as well as many other things, and I'm sure y'all can hear the, the TV in the background, the voice of Mr. Tony Schiavone and Bobby, the brain heenan in the background. That means I've gone back to some old school WCW World Championship Wrestling. Now, like I said, this is the time machine here at Wrestling with the Locals. And, and yes, I'll still be doing podcasts over AEW, WWE, mainstream, up-to-date stuff as well. But. I'm doing some time machine hopping because it's it's fun to go back and look at what wrestling used to be versus what it is today. But I've picked out WCW for a reason. Because one, the show that I'm about to watch is Halloween Havoc. Now, I picked that for a reason. It's always in October. Halloween Havoc is always done around the time of Halloween or close, you know, you know whatever. But Halloween Havoc has just been reborn in XT as a slap in the face to Cody Rhodes, of course, because Halloween Havoc, of course, was something that I'm sure Dusty was the one that created it and all that good shit. But now Vince wants to copyright the name Halloween Havoc because he owned WCW, and that's that's great. So NXT will be doing a Halloween Havoc this month, as a matter of fact, and that's great. I'll probably try to check some of it out because, quite honestly— NXT's got some damn good stars on their roster, and I like watching some of their guys. Now, I'm not as into them as I am AEW, so I'm not going to miss AEW. But with it being Halloween, while they run through their Mike's bills and bullshit that they're doing to build up the card, I mean, we've got a match. I think it's Hogan and Sting, and I know that the Goldberg and Sid we're going to talk about it. But um, as everybody knows, we made the move to Louisiana. So I want to share a few things that um, these are just some some folklore and some some traditions down here. Um, these are legends and myths, things like that. Now, one of the most popular things down here, especially around Halloween time, is they have the Rougarou Fest. Now, for folks that don't know what the Rougarou is, it is a swamp monster that is part man, part werewolf. Uh, in terms of Cajun folklore, the Rougarou, like I said, may be the most popular. This creepy creature is said to live in the swamps and sugarcane fields of southern Louisiana, waiting for its next victim. It's often described as having the body of a human and the head of a wolf and wolf-like hands, almost like a werewolf. The story of the Rougarou is centuries old, and is it is and as any oral tradition goes, sometimes the new stories splinter off into their own versions, while all the versions are caution, cautionary tales. Um, there are a few different versions that we may have heard or y'all may have heard. And some of you people may not, you know, may not know this at all. But one of the versions, one of the most popular versions, um, and this is in no way, you know, I'm not trying to offend anyone. But the Rugaru hunts down Catholics who do not obey the rules of Lent. In another version, the Rugaru is under a spell for 101 days. And afterward, the spell is then, trans the spell is then transferred to another person when the Rougarou draws the blood of someone else, meaning if he bites someone, that person would, in, you know, in, intentionally be, would initially become the next Rougarou and they would take his place. 
Now, during the day, the creature is in human form, so it can be anyone. So I could be the Rugaru, you know, your neighbor could be the Rugaru, however that works. But at night, they take the form of the Rugaru and prowl for blood. Now, they say that if you see the Rugaru, you're not supposed to tell anyone because it can drive you mad, cause you to kill yourself. There's been so many different legends and stories. They say that if you want to keep the Rugaru from entering your home, have good kids. Uh, they say it was an old wise tale that folks, you know, would tell their kids to keep their kids on the, the right track to being good. They also say you can put 13 pennies outside your windowsill or a cauldron that the Rugaru supposedly cannot count above 12. And that is one way to keep him from, you know, trying to break into your home. Now, another wise tale or, or legend here in the Louisiana area is the legend of La Fou Falut. She is also known as the Cajun Fairy. It appears as a Prophophorcistic ball or a uh, fluorescent ball of fire in the swamps. Uh, the word that they used, I pronounced it wrong, I'm sure, but more like a fluorescent ball of fire in the swamps and marshlands of Louisiana. While it can sometimes take the forms of your loved ones, it is also said to have a devilish version, which also takes the form of a ball of light. Its goal is to confuse those who follow the light into until they become lost in the swamps, eventually drowning. So if you ever find yourself out in a swamp in Louisiana in the middle of the night, maybe you don't follow the light, guys. Uh, of course, one that I've heard tell of, I've heard several people tell of it, and quite honestly, I may, may, may go on a hunt for this thing because it's been such a big deal, and it's close to where my wife works, honestly. Um, the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Now, located in St. Tammany Parish, the Honey Island Swamp is considered to be one of the most pristine river swamps in the country. For decades, there have been many, uh, been many legends told of the Honey Island Swamp Monster floating around, and at least one gentleman claims to have seen it with his own eyes. Now, I don't know how true this is, but I'd like to—I mean, I'd like to, to go and live a little bit. The legend is that in the early 20th century, a train carrying a traveling circus crashed, and many chimpanzees escaped. Naturally, they breed, <laughs> or they bred with the alligators in the area, which resulted in the creation of a hybrid creature believed to be about seven feet tall with webbed feet, piercing yellow eyes and a matted gray hair. The monster seamlessly blends into the surroundings, making him difficult to spot. So this legend of the honey Island swamp monster says that it's part chimpanzee and part alligator. We all know that alligators and monkeys can't breed together. So if there's a honey Island swamp monster out there, it's probably going to be Bigfoot. Not going to lie to you, it would have to be a version of Bigfoot. I don't see it being a cross between an alligator and a monkey. But the Honey Island Swamp Monster is, is a big legend that's told down here. As well as this one here, I'm not too familiar with. I'll just kind of read over it. This one I haven't heard much about. It's called the Earlbull Road School. And this is in Shreveport, Louisiana. This is up near the bottom part of Arkansas. Um, school was originally named George, George Washington Carver School, but has been closed down for many years. While the school was open, it was badly damaged by a fire that killed some of the students. Many believe the structure to be haunted, and some even believe that there are devil worshippers that use the school to summon Satan. There's also a water tower on the property, and legend has it that if you climb to the top and peer inside, you will see your reflection as the way you will look on the day you die. Now, that is fairly creepy. Um, I don't condone 
anyone going and trying to, you know, summon Satan or any of that. But if it's haunted, that'd be a cool place to check out as well. But I'm sure they don't let you just wander off in this place. Most places down here, you know, you don't just run into. Uh, I know Zubu's coming up. We plan on doing that with the kids. We're probably not going to do any haunted houses because we got a couple of little ones that just couldn't handle a haunted house right now or we'd be going down to new orleans to the mortuary where you can do laser tag kind of thing where they have zombies and you can go in and shoot them now i'm just kind of rambling about halloween as they're you know lash larue and disco inferno are having a match here because that's not anything of interest to us i just wanted to share some halloween traditions that are here in louisiana and and if y'all have halloween traditions that y'all would like me to talk about somewhere else send them to me or shoot me a message i'll put you on the show and you can teach me your traditions and teach everyone on the podcast your traditions because i mean halloween is my favorite time of year i love to learn i love you know me and my wife just watched hocus pocus the other night it probably won't be the only time we watch it uh been looking forward to catching beetlejuice on tv uh love beetlejuice if i could find the dvd of beetlejuice i would buy it so if anybody wants to get me an early christmas present or if you want to buy me a halloween present you can get me beetlejuice um and and find a way to I'll, I'll i'll send you you know we can discuss it but um just absolutely love halloween movies i've watched some of the halloween halloween movies you know michael myers and uh freddy krueger was on today but i won't watch it with the kids i got cut like i said we got a couple of little ones that would get scared and there is one other story here that uh it's called the grunch now, stories of the Grunch have circulated in the New Orleans area for centuries, the oldest account being shortly after the Louisiana Purchase. According to this legend, this monster is said to have razor-sharp teeth, the legs of a goat, and is the size of a man. It lurks in the tall grass waiting for those who park their car on Grunch Road, which now has been repaved and renamed. Some stories claim that the Grunch is the result of a curse put on by none other than, and yes, this, this story I love it, and I would love to go to to go and investigate and find out more about this story because this could possibly be a curse that was put on by none other than the voodoo queen herself, Miss Marie Laveau. So that that's just some of the you know spookier spookier things that you hear tell of around here. I was looking for a few others, but of course you know. When you go down around Homa, you're going to hear about the Rougarou. When you go around St. Tammany Parish, you're going to hear about the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Um, I did hear about another one. I'll share this one, too, because it was kind of a neat little thing. It's called the Cajun Legend of the Lit, Lit, Lechen, L-E-T-I-C-H-E-N, if you want to look that up and check me on that. Uh, it says here that this was a subsection of American folklore that is Cajun folklore. Uh, something to do with this is an entity that is either a spirit or a child turned beast. But in either case, the common thread is the relative youth of the creature. And now, like I said, some of these stories I have heard, some of them I haven't there, you know, I, I, I did Google to, to give y'all the facts on them because I didn't want to just make crap up. But now the Rougarou, I've heard about it. I've been, you know, a lot of the festivals this year around here have gone to virtual because of the COVID plan and stuff like that. But I did go to some of the, the virtual things and see the Rougarou and how people, they, they, they really overdo it, man. And I love it. It's Louisiana. Of course, they overdo it. They they have people dress up as what they would presume the Rougarou would look like and celebrate the Rougarou and have a whole festival dedicated to it. Um, you know, of course, even our 
our Christmas Eve, and this breaks my heart to even say it, but our Christmas Eve tradition here in Louisiana of lighting the bonfires for Papa Noel to see to get through the swamp when all the fog's out at night has been canceled this year. Now, granted, they'll still light the bonfires because that is something that they cannot not do on Christmas Eve. They've done it for years. But the annual celebration festival that they normally do has been canceled. So most of the things have either gone virtual or found ways around it. Um, but those are just a few of the the Halloween spook things I wanted to share with y'all today. I may find some more. I know there's a few haunted places I can get the, I can go, you know, I can go get some stuff and we can talk about some more haunted stuff around Louisiana. I've got plenty of friends down here that hook him, hook me up with places and pictures and, and things like that. But you know, our haunted creatures down here, I just wanted to share that information about the honey Island swamp monster and the Rougarou definitely. Cause they really are some of the more well-knowns you hear about them on swamp people, but man down here, you really hear about them a lot around Halloween time. And that's, that's not a joke. I've heard about the Rougarou more this year because we're living down here than I have ever. Uh, especially with Rougarou Fest just happening right now, the whole month of October and things like that. But it's a blast. Yeah. If you do, if, you know, if next year straightens out and things get to go back to normal, y'all should definitely come down to Homa and check out the Rougarou Fest and, and other things like that. As, uh, as everybody will definitely, you know, love the support of other people. But anyway, I chose to, to kind of talk about spirits and hauntings and, the unusual because it's we're just what two two weeks away three weeks away maybe from halloween something like that and and of course i'm fixing to be covering halloween havoc in our time machine here and so it all kind of went hand in hand because halloween havoc for wcw was their big october show and our big october show is decorating the house as we've done and and getting ready for it and we have our favorite halloween movies like you know my wife loves hocus pocus we're actually dressing up this year as uh, she's going to be uh, Mary Sanderson and I'm going to be Billy, the zombie with his mouth shut, uh, which is going to be pretty cool. I'll admit it. Uh, it's the first time that I've had somebody that wanted to, to, to dress up in a matching outfit. We wanted to do it last year, but they didn't have the Billy costume. And so she dressed up. I think she was Mary last year at work but this year we're actually for zubu with the kids next weekend we're going to dress up and and i'm gonna go as billy and she's gonna go as the the sanderson sister and, and the kids i think we've got uh two that are doing clowns i'm trying to think of what all they're dressing up as uh we got a little firefighter we've got a zombie cheerleader we've got two clowns and a steampunk so we've got a diverse group here but it's going to be awesome to go to Zubu and hang out. And then, of course, we have a big uh, reptile show as well next weekend, as well as we were invited by some friends that uh, are becoming family to us to go out and check out a uh, another place that is a zoo-type thing that we uh, more than likely will probably be going along with them for. But um, as this is just the intro, I didn't want to ramble too long, but I did anyway. So we're going to get ready here. We're in the time machine. We are back, 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 back to 1999, ladies and gentlemen. This is October the 24th, 1999. It is WCW Halloween Havoc. And right now we're seeing an interview from Mr. Booker T and his brother Stevie Ray. And we will be doing some watch along 
and some reliving some history from 1999 WCW's Halloween Havoc. So if you want to watch along with us, go on to the WWE Network right now and find WCW Halloween Havoc 1999 and get ready to be entertained because we're about to break it down for you. So we are back in 1999 and we are at Halloween Havoc and it's WCW Halloween Havoc. We're seeing a video package air right now. Let me get the, the, the remote here. We are at one hour, 46 minutes into this. And it's showtime, folks. Yes, Beetlejuice says it. We're celebrating Halloween all month long. 31 nights of Halloween on Freeform on TV. 31 nights of Halloween all month long. October 31st is Halloween itself. So I'm doing a little bit of time traveling. I went back to 1999 to October the 24th of 1999 to watch Halloween Havoc from WCW. And at this juncture, like I said, we are about a minute, uh, about an hour and 46 minutes into this bad mamma jamma. It was about a two hour and 46 minute show. You can hear Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain heating in the background. And we are getting ready for Hollywood. Hulk Hogan back when he was still wearing the red and yellow and he was going like Hulkamania was running wild, brother, about to take on Sting, who just turned his back on him, used the bat on him, used it on his knee, all this good stuff. Hogan said he wasn't, you know, he promised he wasn't going to turn on Sting, blah, blah, blah. He wasn't going to stab him in the back. And then all of a sudden Sting turns on him. Sting's back in the black and white. He's ready to go. And uh, I believe it's for the uh, WCW World Heavyweight Championship. I'm not 110% sure. But we'll know here in just a minute because they're getting they got Hogan's music playing. And, uh, you know, back in 1999, it didn't look too bad there. But we're getting ready now. So if you want to get there to that point. Hogan is taking his time and I ain't waiting. We're going to fast forward to about a minute and 48 seconds here. Hogan's still taking his time a minute. An hour and 49 minutes. I'm sorry. So apparently it looks like Hogan Hogan didn't come out. So I don't know if it's mind games here or what. Now they're playing Sting's music. You you got a big gargoyle holding a big blow-up gargoyle smoke blowing out his nose, shaking a Halloween Havoc pumpkin with the Halloween Havoc logo. And so here we go from Venice Beach, California. He is the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Sting. And Sting is on his way. He is the reigning and defending WCW Champion, wearing the long black trench coat, black and white face paint, black and white gear with the white scorpion on the black trunks and Stinglet there. Don't know exactly why Hogan didn't come out first. Challenge. Oh, I like the back of the jacket. I didn't notice that. Sting Scorpion on the back of his trench coat is actually multicolored. I'm going to fast forward about a minute, an hour and 51 minutes. And so it looks like they're playing Hogan's music again. Smoke filling the arena floor here where the stage is. Hogan's music's blaring. The Titantron's playing. He's flexing. He's flexing and sweating with his bald spot, brother. He's getting ready. 
but he ain't come out yet, so we don't know what's going on here. What's the what's the catch? You know. And I'll be quite honest with you, I don't I don't recall this because I didn't probably didn't watch this pay per view to be honest with you when I was a kid. But uh, we're waiting on the entrance of Hulk uh, Mania. I'm gonna fast forward to an hour and fifty two minutes into this, and Hogan finally comes out. And he's Hogan came out, but he's not re ready to wrestle. He's wearing he's wearing jeans and boots and a cut off button up shirt with a black do rag, and he's having words with Sting. And we're getting ready. Hogan lays down. Hogan just laid down. Oak Hogan laid down. Sting goes for the cover. One, two, three. And I just did a watch along over some bullshit. Sting just beat Hulk Hogan. That was ridiculous. And then now all of a sudden we go straight in. Something happened there because they cut. They just cut from what was going on in the arena to the package that builds up to Sid Vicious and Goldberg's match, which is next. You know, Sid had a contract drawn up, building up to this, where Goldberg could not put his hands on him. If he did put his hands on him, there would be problems. Goldberg speared him. Sid tore up the contract, blah, 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 jackknife Goldberg. And then, of course, earlier tonight, Goldberg did attack Sid, setting up for uh, setting up for their match, and he busted. He busted Sid open bad. Not sure exactly what went down there to cause Hogan to come out and lay down and let Sting pin him. Not sure what the angle was. Don't remember it if I did watch it. Okay? So... I guess we're getting ready now for the United States heavyweight title match, which was the other match I'd planned on doing a watch along on on here, as well as the uh, strap match that's coming up later on. But this will be Sid Vicious taking on Goldberg. And I'll just go ahead and let me check the time slot here. A minute, yeah, an hour and 54 minutes. I don't know why I keep trying to say a minute and 54 seconds. I'm losing my marbles. It's an hour and 54 minutes into Halloween Havoc 1999, and I feel let down on the Ho Hogan, the whole Hogan match and Sting match there. That was a letdown, but, you know, it is what it is. And, of course, we got Sid, who uh, everybody says is from West Memphis, Tennessee, but he's from Marion or West Memphis, Arkansas. My bad. He's from Marion, Arkansas. I've worked several shows with Sid, know him fairly well. He's a pretty good guy, I guess. I mean, I, I ain't got nothing bad to say about him. He was always respectful and kind to me when I worked with him, so I ain't got no heat with the man. This was pre-leg breaking where he you know, he doesn't wear tights anymore, but uh, he still has some dried-up blood on him from where Goldberg busted him open earlier. Still got some dried-up blood in his hair. He's pretty pissed off. <laughs> I don't figure this match will last long, so I'll just keep this segment rolling. We'll do the watch along on this one as well because I'm not exactly sure what happened with Hogan and Sting there. I can't remember exactly what happened. 
I'm sure if I Googled, it would tell me. They're at a ruckus sold-out arena. I'm sure they gave away a lot of free tickets for it to be that full, but, you know, that was WCW for you, and if they did give out free tickets, hell, I'd have took a free ticket. But here we go. Goldberg's music's hit. The crowd is ruckus and loud. This was, you know, Goldberg still had his streak intact, apparently, at this point, too. This was before the... Uh, the stun gun and all that bullshit, but Goldberg's music's hit. They're showing crowd shots. They're amping it up. Sid's in the ring. He's handed the belt over. He's waiting. And this is, of course, Halloween Havoc 1999, October 24th. And then, of course, we see the, the security guard knock on Goldberg's door. Goldberg headbutts the door, opens the door, and steps out. And he's got cops with him on each side of him. One cop didn't know where he was supposed to be. So, you know, explains quite a bit. He's got the head of WCW security, and then he's got these cops with him, too. So these guys are walking him out. They'll walk him all the way up to Gorilla, where he'll make his entrance. He's the only guy that had this entrance. Now, John Moxley does get a version of this entrance just no security he comes out of his dressing room walks to the ring but they are in the mgm grand garden that's pretty funny somebody else was at the mgm recently that i know of anyway goldberg is getting close to his destination the cops are going to stop and leave goldberg goldberg steps through the curtain into gorilla the camera pans back out to the crowd as goldberg makes his way through gorilla and gets ready to step out onto the platform or the floor of the arena where the Halloween Havoc setup is. And the security, oh, they sent the security around Gorilla to come around to the front of the building there. And they've got more police coming around front than they had around back at this point. There were originally four, and I believe there's just, what, six there now? Goldberg has stepped out from around the pumpkin. The fireworks are going off. He's standing there in the sparklers. Standing there letting them bounce off of him. He's ready. He's shaking. He's mad. He's ready to fight. He wants that United States Championship that Sid Vicious has. He does his kicks, his punches, and all that good shit. Or his punches, anyway. And the fireworks are still going off. And, yep, there are six officers out there with him now. And somebody's coming up from behind. That's Scott Hall. Scott Hall just attacks Goldberg from behind. And there's Kevin Nash attacking Goldberg from behind. And this is a horrible example of why cops need to do their job. They were supposed to protect him. Why didn't they pull Scott Hall and Kevin Nash off of him? I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I mean, they, they did their job. They walked the man to the ring, and it wasn't their job to protect him. I mean, I wouldn't get in the way of a Nash and Hall. But uh, they, they, they put a little beat down on uh, Goldberg. Goldberg gets back up, shakes it off, and then, of course, Sid attacks him from behind now. So you would think that Sid's got the advantage here. As the bell rings, 
They are on the floor. The referee needs to get them to the ring. He should not have started the match until both men were in the ring, unless it's a no DQ, false count anywhere match, which was not said before this match. So Sid working away on Goldberg outside. Referee is telling him to head toward the ring. Now Sid's just dragging Goldberg by his arm, chomping on that gum. Sid, oh, Goldberg reverses. Sid went for a right hand. Goldberg with a right hand of his own. A couple of right hands to follow it up. Grabs Sid. Throws Sid into the guardrail at ringside. Sid flips over. Poor little girl on the front row hugging her daddy. She's scared to death that the big old Sid is going to land on her. Then he, Goldberg picks him up and drops him ribs first on the guardrail. Goldberg moves the uh, stairs out of the way, setting them up for something there. He set them up for Sid's face to meet him. And then again, Sid's face meets them stairs, or at least his hands do, you know. The referee getting on to Goldberg. Goldberg turned around and said something to him, Mike. Couldn't read his lips very well, but he yelled at him. And, of course, Goldberg firing away on the spot on Sid's head where he already got busted open. And Sid's feeding it up to him. I guess he's telling him to bust me open again. Goldberg just firing on him. Right hand after right hand on Sid's head. Goldberg is fired up tonight. It's 1999 all over again. This was Goldberg in his prime. He's showing the fans the blood on his gloves from Sid's head. And Sid has been busted wide open again, as you heard uh, Bobby the Brain say there to Tony Schiavone there at ringside. And Sid's fighting back, punching Goldberg in the chest. And, and yeah, Goldberg reverses, went right back to work on him. Oh, that was a unique in, innovation of a chop to the head of Sid. Sid's bleeding a little bit, trying to get away, create some distance. Sid rolls back into the ring. Goldberg stepping up, climbs in, steps to the ropes, and Sid goes to a big boot to the shoulder. With the right hand, looks like to the chest, trying to put him in a rear naked choke. Goldberg's got his arm over the ropes. Now, these guys are taller than the ropes, just being honest with you. Sid's chopping away on Goldberg, clubbering him with forearms across the chest, chop style. Shoots Goldberg in. Goldberg takes the big boot. Sid Vicious gives Goldberg the big boot. Now he's got him down in like the uh, Steiner recliner version of the uh, camel clutch. Pretty good show so far. I've seen quite a few matches on her. Benoit was in a match earlier. But Goldberg's not giving it up. He's still got him back in that, uh, you know, that camel clutch position. Goldberg's all the way down. Goldberg's shaking his hands, trying to get the crowd up. Sid's screaming. Sid's screaming at the ref to ask him. Sid's screaming to ring that damn bell. Now Sid's eyes are about to pop out of his head as Goldberg uses his strength to get out of it. And now he's picking Sid's been up. Oh, geez. Goldberg picks it up on his shoulders and drop back with him. Got him up on his shoulders in the Frankensteiner position and just drop straight back with him. Goes for the cover. Two count. Don't like the referee's two count there. He, uh, could have made it look more better or more believable, more better. Goldberg with a rear, a rear chin lock there, turning Goldberg or turning Sid's head and then hitting him with an elbow, doing it right back again. Now Sid's got a hold of the chin of Goldberg, trying to pry him off. Goldberg with a right hand, solid right hand to the head of Sid. Sid turns around on his knees, facing Goldberg. Goldberg's right hand after right hand to the cranium of Sid. Oh, and then a backhand. He kind of put that pimp hand on him there. Sid is bleeding profusely from his dome. 
Oh, right hand. Right hand from Goldberg again. And another one. And another one. Sid's crawling toward the corner trying to get get the hold of the ropes to get up. Goldberg with a kick to the midsection. Sid very rarely sold that. And then another right hand and another right hand. And Goldberg just pounding away on the head of Sid. He's wanting to open him up some more. Sid trying to fight back. Shots to the midsection. Goldberg barely sells him. Right back on him with rights and lefts of his own. Sid draped over the ropes coming up. And then Goldberg grabs him with a choke. Arching Sid over the ropes there with a choke. Sid pushed himself up to his feet in the corner. Goldberg grabs and goes to shoot him in. Had a hard time, but Sid went in. Sid staggers out of the corner and takes a clothesline from Goldberg. Both men, you can tell, are taking a beating or blowed up. And Goldberg follows it up with an elbow drop to the head of Sid. Goes for the cover. Two. Two count only. Goldberg glaring at the official there. Sid's up on his knees, right hands to Sid's face. Sid's covered in blood. His hair, of course, is blonde for the effect of the blood being red there. His hair is now red because of it. Blood is everywhere. Goldberg's covered in his blood. The ring's covered in his blood. Sid's been busted open and is bleeding profusely during this contest. <laughs> My hiccup came back. The referee telling Goldberg, get him out of the corner and checking on Sid, asking him if he can compete and all that good stuff. Sid with a boot to the midsection, then a kick to the chest and another kick to the chest and another kick to the chest from Sid. Sid staggers out, tries to give him a modified big boot. Goldberg catches it, throws Sid down. Sid right back up to his feet, then takes a clothesline down. Sid grabs the middle rope, trying to bring himself back up to his feet, staggers back into the corner, and Goldberg follows right in. Goldberg, of course, like I said, has the streak. He's still undefeated at this time. Headbutt from Goldberg into the corner there on Sid. And then just again taking the palm of his hand and rubbing it over Sid's head. I don't know if he was trying to apply a little pressure to stop the bleeding because at this point, Sid's covered. His whole face is red, covered in blood. So I don't know if. Goldberg was trying to apply pressure if he was just trying to make it look like he put a claw on him. But Sid is firing up, clubbering right arm, forearms to the back of Goldberg. That didn't even phase him. He didn't sell him. He just fired right back up with an elbow to the head of Sid Vicious and another elbow to the head of Sid Vicious. Now, in my opinion, they didn't look like they connected. This is where you could tell Goldberg was a little green. Um, Sid staggers out, falls to his knees, grabs the trunks of Goldberg. Goldberg backing up. Sid crawling on his knees to the center of the ring. Goldberg has the hair of Sid Vicious. You know, Goldberg's arguing with the referee. And the referee just stopped the match. Goldberg had Sid by the hair and was fixing to open up on him some more. And the referee stopped the match due to the loss of blood. Sid had lost so much blood that he couldn't he couldn't continue. I mean, he was he's staggering. He's up on his feet now. Rick Steiner's out there to kind of, I don't know, I guess keep the peace or keep Sid from killing him, but Rick's trying to talk Sid down. We're we're trying to figure out what's going on. The referee awarded the match to Goldberg. We're seeing exactly what happened. Does, does Goldberg get the belt or does Sid retain it? Sid retains the belt. 
Nope, Sid does not. The announcer announces that due to the severity of the cut on Sid Vicious, the official has stopped the match and has awarded the WCW United States Championship to Goldberg due to a stoppage. I never heard of this before. I've never seen that before. I've never seen this match before. So it was, I mean, it was a good match. Enjoyed it, but it just, I've never heard of them stopping a match and awarding the belt to somebody new. I've always heard of if you have to stop the match, but I guess they do it their way. There, there's rules and, and, and they do them their way. Sid just collapsed at ringside. Rick's trying to carry him to the back. Sid uh, has lost quite a bit of blood. Rick Steiner is trying to get him to the back, but Goldberg is the winner here. Goldberg is the new United States world heavyweight champion there. Sid was covered in blood. They got a towel out there for Sid. They're trying to get him to the back. But Sid, you can tell he lost a lot of blood, but I mean, it's a hell of a match. Sid's pushing everybody off. He's pissed. He turns around. Now he's starting back toward the ring. Steiner kind of wiped Sid's face off, so some of the blood's off of him. They finally get Sid stopped. Goldberg said, let us fight. <laughs> I mean, Goldberg didn't even color, and he's got blood on him. That's how good Sid's color was. Sid's color was phenomenal. He's, I mean, his tape's covered in it, his legs, his arms, his chest. He's covered in blood. Great color. Uh, they opened up the cut that they opened up in the back earlier, and it just poured out. But Goldberg wins this match by a stoppage for a loss of blood and the gash on his head being too big. So Sid Vicious lost, and your new United States, WCW United States champion is Goldberg. And we will continue watching Halloween Havoc 1999. And if there's a so I got cut off on what I was saying there at the end. We're going to you know keep rolling along here with Halloween Havoc 1999. If for some reason I do have to cut off again, I'll try to pick up where we were. But um, we're getting ready for the strap match now as, you know, Goldberg just won. Sting ended up coming back out, was highly pissed off, jumped on the mic, told everybody, hey, I don't, you know, I don't want a night off. I didn't come looking for a night off. I want a fight. Give me a fight. Let's have a fight. Blah, blah, blah. And is looking for him a challenger. So here we go as Rick Flair's making his way down. DDP's down. So we've got a uh, strap match coming up. Both men, you know, strap match. Normally, a lot of indie guys think strap match. Oh, the fans have straps. No, that's not how this works. None of the boys have straps. But uh, we're going to get Ric Flair versus Diamond Dallas Page here. And apparently we're going to have a match later tonight with Sting and whoever decides to come out and challenge him for the belt. Because he didn't want a night off, so... He made an open challenge to anybody in the back. And he's getting ready to 
find out who his opponent would be. Now, this is kind of like, uh, you know, Now, Kimberly did come out with her husband, Diamond Dallas Page. Now, we got Flair in a strap already. Flair, Flair has the strap on him. It's, it's, you know, it's not the kind of strap match that you're used to seeing. It's kind of like an Indian strap match. Both men are going to be kind of like a dog collar match, except for this time it'll be around the wrist of each guy, and they can use the strap in any way they want, beating each other with it, choking each other with it, whatever they need to do to get the match you know, going. Now, Flair put it on immediately. DDP's outside the ring. Hadn't got in the ring yet. He's on the apron at this point. He finally has the strap on his wrist trying to, you know, Flair's trying to get him in the ring. DDP's wanting Flair to back up so he can get in. Now, DDP's got a majority of the strap. He's finally in the ring. They're both joined together at the straps. Kind of like an Indian strap match. Now, I've been in a few of these myself. These are not fun. I mean, they are fun, but they are not fun because you you know, you know can use the strap as a weapon. It hurts. Don't think it doesn't. Now, neither one of these guys is wearing a shirt or anything. They're both out there topless, so the chops, the chops from the, or the slaps from the strap is going to hurt. Page backs Flair into the corner, fires away on him. Flair backs Diamond Dallas Page back into the corner with a chop. And you can hear it and follows it up with a right hand and a left hand and a right hand. And Flair going to be the first one. Yep. Takes that strap and starts strapping Page across the back with it. Page going to slide out of the ring. He went one way. Flair slides out the other. Page gets yanked with the strap straight into the turnbuckle post hard. Flair slides back into the ring. Page is down on the outside. Flair's going to roll in and roll back out on the same side as Page because of the strap and go right after him. And I'm so rude. I didn't even bother telling y'all where we were on the time. It is in two hours and 18 minutes into the show. Two hours and 18 minutes into the show. Flair and Page are fighting up the entryway. Flair slapping Page on the back with a strap. Page cuts him off with a thumb to the eye. Turns around, grabs Flair, and takes Flair and throws him into that steel guardrail. And again, it is one of those solid steel guardrails. It's not, you know, a padded WWE one. And of course, Page taking things into his own hands, strap across the chest of Ric Flair, which was highly dangerous. They were right by the fans. Takes Flair and throws him over into the fans, and Page is going to climb over with him. Fans better watch out. <laughs> Page has Flair and slams him into the guardrail on that side now. And now he's going to drag him through the fans while pounding on him. And, of course, the referee for this contest is Little Nate's referee, Charles Robinson. And Flair and Page are fighting up the stands. They went from the floor seats to the lower level of the bleacher seats now, fighting up into the stands. Right around the fans, Flair going to take that strap and swing it with the fans there, hitting Page across the back. Yeah, I bet that's a lawsuit waiting to happen because he just swung it at the chest and Page with a thumb to the eye going to cut him off. And now he takes the strap and straps Flair across the back right there in the stands with the fans and a chop from Flair and another chop from Flair and a right hand from Page and another right hand and Flair sets down 
Pulls Paige in. Paige with the right hands mounted up, just beating on the head of Flair. Does the bang sign, the diamond cutter sign in the crowd. It turns around to a chop from Flair, and this is a hard-hitting match right out in the crowd, and the crowd is just not getting out of the way, man. They're staying right on top of these guys, not giving them much room. So if somebody got hit, it was their own damn fault. In my opinion, you should have moved. You see two two men fighting, you need to get the hell out of the damn way. I mean, I would have. I wouldn't have wanted to go between them two. Jeez. Flair's got that strap around the face and the throat of DDP, dragging him around. Now he's got it in the mouth. He's got his mouth pried open, and he's got it around the mouth and lower jaw, biting Paige. Biting him on the forehead. He's got the strap now. Page is down. And of course, the camera angle sucks, but he's strapping Page. Strap across the chest twice now. Uh, they they screwed that pooch with the camera angle on that one. All right, guys. I'm going to have to cut it off for just a minute. All right, guys. Sorry about that well-planned interruption there. I knew it was coming. Um, wife had to call me. She was on her way home from work. Glad to have her home. But now back to some action here as we're back with the... Uh, Strap match and Flair grabbing Paige, throwing Paige back over the guardrail, back around ringside area, and then grabs a hold of Paige's wife, Kimberly, who was at ringside, and gives her a number of different uh, kisses there. And Paige hits Flair with a hard right hand, taking down Flair. He's a kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing son of a gun, and he stole some kisses from the wife of Diamond Dallas Page, and now Paige is going to take the strap and tan his hide for kissing on his wife. Paige has that strap wrapped around the throat of Ric Flair, leading him all around the ring, pounding him head first into the guardrail there. Looks like Ric Flair, of course, has been busted open. And then drags him to the other side of the arena, slams him head first on the guardrail, the other side, right hands following it up. To open up that head of Ric Flair as Ric Flair has got some color here. Now, Flair has not got the amount of color that we saw Sid Vicious get earlier on tonight in his match, but he's just the color so far. Hopefully, you know, Ric Flair always gets good color, so maybe it'll be just as good as it always is. But Paige continually to stomp away on Ric Flair at ringside. He's infuriated now after Flair kissed his wife. Flair hits Paige with a chop. Paige goes right back onto Flair, taking him down, using the uh, leather strap on Ric Flair's back. The ice machine you hear in the background is just the wife. She's fixing her glass of sweet tea. As uh, Diamond Dallas Page continues to beat up on Ric Flair. He's got Flair now. He's starting to get that good color. Hair starting to, the beautiful blonde hair of Ric Flair starting to turn red from the crimson blood. Flair firing up. Oh, and a hard chop. Page hit him. Flair with a chop. Page with a right hand, with another right hand. He's got Flair draped over the guardrail at ringside, and Page is firing away on him. 1999 Halloween Havoc. Rick Flair versus Diamond Dallas Page in a strap match. And Flair being drug around ringside. Page drops him head first on the uh, announcer's table at ringside. Unraveling the strap here. He's going to tan Flair's hide. And we're picking up right where we left off. As Page is up on the table, does the sign for the diamond cutter again, and then does something very inappropriate. Some groin thrust in there. 
as he's standing over, ouch, standing over Flair, who's prone. Bloody corpse is laying atop of the Halloween Habit announce table. Flair's been thrown back into the ring. Now, Paige is making a mistake here. He's going to, yep, he's going to have to drop down and roll under the bottom rope to get back in because of the strap there. Paige is hollering woo, which everybody knows is Flair's. Paige is doing it now. Paige drops the elbow drop into a lackadaisical cover. Two count only as Flair kicks out. Now, little Nate Charles Robertson is, of course, the referee here. And Paige grabs him by the shirt collar, giving him a lecture. Referee Charles Robertson lets him know, hey, it's only a two-count man. He kicked out. As Paige turns right back around on the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Calling for the diamond cutter as he's trying to pull Ric Flair up. And Flair with a low blow. Vintage Flair. Back then it wasn't vintage Flair. That was every, you know, that was Flair. That was just how he did it. It wasn't vintage until, you know, recently. Flair strutting around with the strap on his hand. Drops to his knees. He's pulling some of the strap in. You can tell he's fixing to get ready to lay it in there. And, of course, oh, you hear that leather hit that flesh as Flair chopping away with that leather strap on the back of Diamond Dallas Page. Now, of course, I don't see any good red welt marks on anybody from the strap, so they're not hitting each other hard enough to, to you know, in my opinion, to do the damage that they need to be doing. But, you know, it is what it is. This Flair's using the strap to tie Paige up into the corner and open up some chops on the chest of him. Flair grabs him by the legs. Oh. Flair strutting around with that strap. Paige is down. Now Flair's dragging Paige across the ring to him with the strap, grabs him by the arm, drapes him up onto the ropes, shoots him off using the strap, comes in, clotheslines him with his arm and the strap across the throat of Paige. And then Flair woos with that crimson mask of blood on his forehead and hair there and a knee drop, a vintage knee drop from Flair, and then a woo. And then you hear the crowd, woo. I'm about to start pouring crown. Or not crown. Well, I got crown. I start pouring crown and coke or rum and coke, one of the two. As Flair just drapes the leg of Diamond Dallas Page over that bottom rope and drops down on it. Ass first on the calf and thigh area or the thigh area of uh, Diamond Dallas Page there. Weakening up that leg for the figure four, of course. As Flair's, the whole right side of Flair's hair, it looks, you know, you could tell he was rubbing his hair there, fixing his hair because his blood's all in his hair. No, I'm kidding. It just flowed that way, oddly enough. But uh, Flair working on that knee. Going to back up and come running in with another running knee drop on the leg of Diamond Dallas Pages. He's got him down in the center of the ring. Nature Boy Ric Flair taking on Diamond Dallas Page in a strap match. Halloween Havoc 1999. And Flair going to lock in the figure four. Oh, yep. Now he's got it locked in. He's got the figure four locked in on the long leg of Diamond Dallas Page. And Diamond Dallas Page is fighting the strap that's wrapped around his neck as well as the figure four. And one, two, oh, two count only as Diamond Dallas Page managed to come back two right there at the last second. Now, 
the strap is wrapped around his head. He's choking himself out with the strap, apparently, and getting beat up by the uh, figure four as well. Now, Paige is trying to figure out a way to get this strap off of his, you know, his, there he goes. He gets it off of his neck, finally. Referee could have helped with that. Flair's got him in that figure four. He's trying to he's trying to get Paige to tap out. Paige is trying to find a way to roll it over and reverse it, and he does. Oh, no, he doesn't. It looked like he could. It looked like he did. He grabs the ropes. And the referee, I guess he's going to make him break it. I mean, it's a strap match. Anything could go, right? I mean, he's letting him hit him in the nuts. I don't know how many times. Uh, he made him break it. Again, this is one of those times for the referee's decision. I guess it's the referee's decision. I mean, we had a uh, – I've seen some stupid shit. Well, we'll just leave it at that. But Flair, Paige up on his knees. Flair grabs him in a side headlock and just starts right-handing him to the face, beating the piss out of him. Flair with them solid right hands to the forehead, just beating the piss out of – oh, Paige with a headbutt to the nuts. Oh, and then an arm. Two nut shots in a row. Why didn't you DQ him? I mean, you made him break the hold. Made a whole lot of damn sense, right? Well, what the hell ever. Now, oh, Paige takes the strap, raking it across the face of Ric Flair there, the bloody mass of Ric Flair's face being carved on with the strap, and now he's trying to wrap it around his neck. Oh, and he gets the strap around Flair's neck, and you know where that's going. He's fixing to choke Flair out with that strap, probably going to throw him over the ropes, isn't he? Somebody's about to get hung. Oh, diamond cutter. Jeez, the way Flair took that was just awful. And Paige doesn't have the strap on him anymore. It's off his arm. One, two. I think Charles Robertson just fucked up. Because Charles Robertson was expecting Ric Flair to kick out. And that that was great. And Charles Robertson got a diamond cutter for his effort because that was just absolutely the shittiest finish to a match. And that was completely the referee's fault. They either changed the finish on the fly or they changed the finish and didn't bother to tell the damn referee. Because what happened there was Charles Robertson stopped the count at two and it stopped. I mean, just stopped. And then he had to, he had to rearrange it and count, you know, he had to ring the bell, but then we see Rick's oldest son, David come charging down to ringside with his crowbar in hand, of course, to attack diamond Dallas page and Kimberly attacks David and him in the nuts, takes the crowbar from him, throws it in the ring to, uh, to page. And you can tell that's not a legitimate crowbar. I'm just going to tell you right now, he took it and he did hit Flair in the nuts with it. That is not a legitimate crowbar because when he threw it down on the ring, it bent. A legitimate crowbar would not bend when thrown on a wood padded surface like a wrestling ring. Now, maybe if you hit the damn turnbuckle post with it or unless Ric Flair's balls are made of steel and I just missed it. But, you know, and then David takes the shittiest looking diamond cutter bump I've ever seen. No offense to David. Um but, of course, David come to save his dad. And, of course, Kimberly's sticking her knee where it didn't belong in David's nuts and taking the crowbar and handing it to Paige. And, and then he's going to stomp on David, pick him up, and give him a better-looking diamond, cut, diamond cutter bump. But, again, Charles Robertson just blew that whole fucking spot. Uh, and I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how long di uh, Charles Robertson has been refereeing at this point in time. This was back in 99, and he'd been with WCW for a while, and he's been around for years. But... 
that would have been, you know, had that been me, I'd have got worse than a diamond cutter for screwing up a spot that big. Especially on, on a pay-per-view event like that. But it is what it is, and, and that was the match, and Paige cleaned up, and, of course, here they come with uh, EMTs bringing out a uh, flat board and a neck brace, you know, one of the neck supports and a stretcher and things like that. They're going to stretch a Ric Flair out for precautionary reasons, but Diamond Dallas Page is still yet to leave the ringside area. David Flair take, takes two diamond cutters, and he's crawled over to his dad, Charles Robertson. The official took a diamond cutter, and he's crawled over to check on Nate too. So little Nate and, and, and David there. And it's just, oh, I can't believe Charles Robertson blew that. That was, you know, he tried to stop the count. Anyway, that was the Ric Flair Diamond Dallas Page strap match from Halloween Havoc 1999. And uh, if there's, you know, if anybody worthy comes out and challenges Sting, I may cover that. Other than that, I think 1999's Halloween Havoc is done for us, and we'll time travel to a different night, time, and place in history of wrestling. Guys, we just want to thank you for listening along for Halloween Havoc of 1999. We had the strap match with Ric Flair and Paige, as well as the Goldberg-Sid Vicious match. And then, of course, if you did check out the main event that night, the main event ended up being Sting taking on Goldberg when Goldberg won the WCW world title for the first time, winning two belts in one night. But I didn't do a watch along with that because it was not exactly long enough. And I do apologize for trying to do the watch along over Sting and Hogan as they did the BS job. But thank you guys, and we'll be doing some more time machine traveling soon. <laughs>